Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and our Sunday edition asking uh, the press and the members of, of the press our, uh, how we did this week and what we did this week. And with us, of course, as usual, is John Bennett from CQ Roll Call and former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, who's going to explain to us just exactly how quickly we're going to get Donald Trump into the court to answer that subpoena. So stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and we're talking this week about the January 6th hearing, the last one that dropped uh, this week, as well as some of the things that have gone on around the world and uh, in uh, court. So to help us out, figuring it all out, is John Bennett from CQ Roll Call and Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor. And and Michael, I'll start with you. Uh, All right, so we saw the January 6th hearing. And at the very end, they dropped a little bombshell that they passed a resolution to subpoena Donald Trump before the hearing. We're going to see him there ever? I would be surprised. I think that if counsel is able to advise him properly, they would say, do not appear before that civil committee because you have a criminal investigation ongoing that overlaps with the same facts. And we just don't want to take the chance that anything you say there could be used against you in a criminal proceeding. So uh, prudence would say, do not show up. And I think that we saw recently when he had to show up for Letitia James, the attorney general of New York's deposition of him, he showed up so as not to be held in contempt, then took the Fifth Amendment every single time. In this case, I think they would send a letter to the committee saying that uh, we appreciate the invitation, but we respectfully decline because of the collateral proceedings uh, that implicate his criminal law. And then could, could they take the route they took with Bannon? Well, remember, Bannon just thumbed his nose at the committee. He never cooperated in any way, shape, or form. Contrasting that with, say, Meadows, who also was... Um, in contempt of the committee, but was not referred to the Justice Department because he cooperated in in part. So I think if you show some level of cooperation, but then you say, look, I'm not gonna do this because I've got Fifth Amendment rights that are implicated, or I still believe I have other privileges that attach, 
it's hard to imagine that the committee refers that to the Justice Department for criminal prosecution. John? I think Trump is, you know, I, I think he's unlikely to appear for all those reasons. <laughs> um, but I but have how does to, that look politically? I, I, right. I have to play devil's advocate a little bit because uh, it's more compelling podcast, but also <laughs> because having watched Trump for so long and I've listened to uh, some folks in Trump land, uh, conservative media, and also the reporting of folks like Maggie Haberman, who certainly has Trump world wired, you know, I'm not going to put it above 25% that Trump shows up and testifies uh, possibly in, 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 a, in one more public hearing, uh, who knows, because um, Trump wants to do it. You know, th th his gut instinct is, is to fly to Washington and do this thing. Um, and, and Maggie and others have reported that in recent days. Um, so I, I can't rule it out. I'm not going to rule out that this doesn't happen. I'm going to put it about 25%. However slim, it might be the slimmest 25% that you could come up with. But politically, it would not look good, um, you know, for the canon the, the, the canon hearing room to, to light up at one o'clock or um, pr Trump would probably press for a six o'clock uh, hearing. Prime time. Prime time. Yeah, and actually show up at seven because yeah. he loves early prime time. We we covered him in the White House, and he he loves that time of day. He thinks you know I I and and Hogan Gidley and others never chased me off this. He thinks that's kind of a sweet spot in television land is that seven o'clock yeah uh, hour. So I can't rule out that the Trump show doesn't go prime time politically though. Him taking the fifth over and over, boy, that would look really bad, wouldn't it? So. I think they'll get through to him. I think it, it'll, it, it, I'm starting it at 25% and I think it comes down uh, over time. Well, I, it, it would look awful politically for, for, you know, Mr. Macho to, to take the fifth and Mr. I haven't done anything wrong. And the Democrats are the ones who actually tried uh, to commit all these, all these crimes. It, it wouldn't look good for him to, to say, well, I can't answer that because I might implicate myself in, um, I we we counted last night here at home. Um, we came up with seven open investigations, state and federal, that we know of. So yes. you know, I can't I can't answer that question, um, Congresswoman Cheney, because I might implicate myself in one of these or six four, other <laughs> or four of the seven open investigations. It, it wouldn't look good. Yeah. Well, but you know, having covered Donald Trump, and I I think Michael, you're right. <laughs> That if uh, an attorney gets to him, if he has any decent attorneys left, which is questionable to begin with, but if they do get to him, I doubt that he shows up to uh, to to face the heat. However, Donald Trump has defied logic so often in his time in and out of office that I would not be surprised if he did show up, implicate himself, and give the uh, the, the the prosecutor a closing statement in the form of a video that he could like he did at his recent rally when he's when he flat out he didn't he didn't double down and say that the FBI stole you know or planted evidence and he didn't say that it was the government's and they you know, had a right to it he flat out said it was his and he wanted it back so there's an open I mean if I were the prosecutor I'd take Ooh. that video clip. And, you know, it's a very open and shut case to me. And, uh, you know, he has it. He says he has it. 
and he claims it's his. So I, I would not be surprised if the, the Donald came out and did something like that. And on the heels of that, Michael, I, I, everyone I've talked to this week thinks that the easiest case to prosecute for, for Donald Trump is what happened at Mar-a-Lago. It's a straight up open and shut case of obstruction of justice based on the letters that were sent, the statements he's made, and the information they've obtained. Do you think that that's accurate? I think that it is the straight, a straightforward case, assuming you can show certain um, foundational facts. One, Donald Trump knew he had a subpoena. I think that's not very hard uh, to Proof. prove. Two, facing that subpoena, and this is the harder part, he instructed someone to move the documents for the purpose of evading the obligations of that subpoena. If they can, if they have credible witness to testify to that and then have the videotape of the boxes being moved, that's a pretty straightforward case. I don't know that they have the second um, foundational element that they have a witness who will be able to credibly say that Trump said, move those documents so that we, with the implication being at least that we don't have to respond to that subpoena because the witness that has been reported in the newspaper at first said, no, I, I didn't move any documents at, at Trump's behest. And then when they showed him moving documents, <laughs> he said, oh, you mean those documents? And so that's not that's not great. You don't want that specifically in, in, in a witness. Um, but of course, the case becomes even more straightforward if it turns out that Trump has any additional documents that he has not sent forward to the um, Department of Justice, because it's pretty clear now that they believe that every government document, classified or unclassified, belongs in the National Archives, and that the president, the former president, like every former president, can go look at it in the National Archives. Um, or when he creates a presidential library, some of this stuff can go into presidential libraries. Um, but so there, this is a long answer to a short question, and I apologize for being so long-winded about it. But the answer is, yes, it's straightforward. But as a prosecutor, you must establish those facts, that he had knowledge of, the, of a subpoena, which I think is the easy part, and that he failed to comply with that subpoena. Yeah. knowingly failed to comply with that subpoena. I, I think we, we know he knowingly failed to comply with it. it are you on a boat there, John? <laughs> yeah, trying to sell away as quickly as possible. Yeah, hey, the, the other thing I wanted to talk about, though, on and uh, we skipped right past it, was, you know, on the January 6th hearing, um, and both of you, I'd love to get you both to weigh in on that. Uh, where does it fit into the, you know, investigation of Donald Trump? They were talking about referring, writing a report and referring it to the Department of Justice, but I don't think they need a, a referral from them to proceed. They're already on the way. And secondly, why the hell they wait till the last damn minute to subpoena Donald Trump? Why the hell wasn't that done first? So, uh, any Mike, we'll, Michael, we'll start with you. Uh, typically, you work your way up to the top. To the top. You develop your facts <clears throat> because for, think about it the other way. Let's say on day one of the hearings, before you had heard from 
Cassidy Hutchinson and Pat Cipollone and all of those people who had important testimony, Bill Barr, you brought Donald Trump in and you said, tell us your story. And then he tells us a story and then you spend the rest of the time sort of working Backwards. to undermine, to undermine it. I, I yeah. think it, from a prosecutorial standpoint, you're better off building your case saying, here's what we believe is true. Do you, Donald Trump, want to refute it rather than them being in the position of having to refute what he said? That, so I would think that it was done correct. That made the, that made the better uh, structure for them. John? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think some of the criticism the panel is getting um, is reflective of this is not a criminal proceeding. Uh, the committee has never, they have and they haven't said that one of their goals um, was to politically disqualify Trump. So, um, so it's not, you know, just a criminal matter. They've, they've admitted that it's also a political proceeding. So that's why it looks weird. Uh, and that's why they're, they're open to criticism on that. Uh, they can't really cover their, can't really cover their six completely on that. They're going to take some fire. And it does, it does look weird. Like you, you've spent however many months with these public hearings, <clears throat> excuse me, making all these allegations um, your charter is probably going to expire with uh, however narrow a Republican majority is in January in the House. Um, Speaker McCarthy, Speaker Scalise, um, one of those guys um, <laughs> will just shut the will just shut the thing down. He won't renew their charter. So, um, but they so will begin reason, investigating. Uh, yeah, for that reason, I, I they do they're taking some criticism, and it does look a little weird because it's also a political proceeding. But back to the first question about Trump and, and the subpoena and testifying, um, he's already using this to keep himself in the headlines. So I think he'll just keep teasing it and flirting with it and leaving the door cracked a little bit that he might show up before the committee dissolves or puts out their final report. Um, he's not going to no, show up. No, but he's going to use this to keep himself in the headlines. And he is the kind of person that, that you know on average being in the headlines to him is better than not being in the headlines you got the old no such thing as bad publicity right um he does subscribe to that so he's going to flirt with it i mean it it is it is kind of tasty to think of him uh, as a political reporter and columnist it it is face to face with shifty shift i mean who doesn't want to see that and he's <laughs> going to use that to to promote himself and keep himself in in the news and i think He's going to view it as as helping his fundraising, and the Washington. Well, everything Post, is about helping his fundraising. Yeah. And the Washington Post had a good story this week, looking into how he spent so much of the money that his pat his political action committee has raised. He's actually spending the majority what he is actually spending. He's certainly not spending it helping his candidates that he's picked uh, in the midterms. So he's spending that on his legal fees. So I think he's gonna he's gonna keep this possibility alive and out there to help with the fundraising, especially. When it comes to uh, Trump in court, Michael, they, this week the Justice Department pushed back against uh, the judge saying they got to get uh, rid of the, uh, uh, the special master. What is that, what's that mean going forward? Does it mean anything? Is it going to lead to anything? There are two things that are at play. One is just in this case, the Justice Department believes that there is no need for a special master, that the number of documents and the number of documents that contain possible uh, attorney-client privilege materials doesn't warrant a special master. And so therefore we don't need one 
Court of Appeals, thank you very much. And then the other broader principle is here is a district court judge who, though she was reversed by the Court of Appeals on in respect of the allowing the special master to look at classified um, documents, um, I don't think they want to have stand an order from a district court judge that uh, imposes a master on them in a case such as this. So I think they they like the 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 precedent, if you will, of a district court judge ordering the Justice Department to have a special master in the context of a classified documents review and executive privilege review uh, criminal prosecution um, stand. So the, they they've appealed and they want her whole order um, stricken. And what do you think the chances are that they'll be <clears throat> successful in that? I don't know. I, I don't think that she was right in her legal reasoning um, from the outset, but the special master is working and uh, meaning that not that he's being successful, but that he's, his work is ongoing. Going, right. And um, there's a deadline for it to be done in, in December. And so the court of appeals might say, look, you know, we're in the middle of October. Let's just let this process run its course. But on the other hand, they might say, listen, the Justice Department has it right. You, you didn't have the Toronto, Donald Trump doesn't have any standing in this case to, to raise a claim as to a possessory interest in those documents. They're not his. And you your order is, is mistaken. And so we're going to reverse you, uh, you know, full out. And which I think is probably the the, the appropriate legal um, uh, decision, uh, but we'll have to see. Well, he also got rebuked by the uh, <laughs> by the Supreme Court this week. I know he thinks of three of the people that are there as his vassals. Uh, you know, he, after all, he appointed them, and they owe him. And uh, John, we've talked about that often. But getting rebuked by your own handpicked members of the Supreme Court in a simple sentence, telling you, you know, basically f off. We're not going to look at your shit had to be a i mean politically that was not good for the donald although he's been trying to fundraise off of that too he has can you imagine the amount of ketchup that must be on the wall at bedminster uh, he did not end the week the week did not end well for mr trump um i could see some broken golf clubs perhaps you hit those things on the ground hard enough and the, and the heads will just fall right off the irons will just fall right off so um i could see some and we know that he has a temper uh, we've all heard it firsthand uh, at least brian and i have so yeah <laughs> um you know back to i th i i'm gonna make the prediction that the federal that the appellate judge throws out the special master and i'm not a lawyer we leave that to michael uh, in his capable hands but it just this is trump so we went through all that with a special master and the appeal and this and that and then the special master came out and made a ruling and it it would it's just so fitting for everything trump for now to have this thing shut down and then we're going to look back and say what the hell was all that because how many times have we said that? i remember leaving the white house on a like on, late on a friday like around 5 30 on a friday and there were multiple multiple times i looked at you and you know all week we would go through something he's fighting congress or he's fighting who knows and then friday he just drops it and gets on the helicopter and leaves and we would walk out and say what the hell was all that? What the hell is that all about? So it just feels like it would just be fitting for the special master to, to be shut down.
Yeah, it, it, it feels very Trumpian. It's, yeah, it would be. It, it's very Trump-like. <laughs> so uh, listen, we're going to take a short break and we come back. We're going to talk a little bit about Saudi Arabia. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the press too. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me, again, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and uh, editor-at-large and columnist Bon Vivant from <laughs> Roll Call CQ, John Bennett. And I guess, guys, uh, you know, the one I, 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 I don't know how to get my mind around what I see, read, here, and am a part of on a daily basis coming on the run-up to these midterms. I mean, you either both sides are seeing it as apocalypse now. And if you don't come out and vote, the world will end as we know it. Um, and while I take um, I take the point that many make that this is an it is a large and a very important uh, election. It's going to be a watershed event in the history of the U.S. It's the way the vitriol of, or the way we've categorized it in the press that leaves me wondering if we're not turning people off because we're saying vote you got to be a patriot you know if you're a patriot you're voting this or if you're a patriot you're voting that and when i talk to people outside of the district what they really want to know is what the hell are you going to do for me if you're elected so are are we missing something in the run-up to this midterm the polls the the pundits the reporters we get it it's an important election but do the voters understand it better than the press? John? Of course they do, because <laughs> you're right. Uh, what, what people are worried about is, is how much eggs cost. The cost of eggs up 30% in, in the latest, um, the Commerce uh, Department uh, data that came out last week. Eggs are up 30%. Milk is up, you know, just staples that people buy every week. I went to the supermarket yesterday morning and and I came out of there with with my jaw dropped again at, at how much my and it was kind of a half grocery run for me yesterday. And it cost almost as much as what a full grocery run cost, you know, maybe 18 months ago, a year ago. So, yeah, the, the public gets it more than we do. Um, I sense more than a little bit of rooting for the Democrats from from a lot in the mainstream media. And of course, you turn on Fox News and it's it's the exact opposite. They're openly rooting for Republican candidates and giving cover to whatever the latest thing that came out of Herschel Walker's mouth in Georgia. So we, you know, I, 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 there is still a sense of, of in the media not wanting Trump to come back. And I think they don't want Republicans to be too successful in November because it could be a first indicator uh, that, that Trump's on his way to, to a second term in 2024. 
if he's a free man come 2024. I, I still don't um, think he's going to run, but that's right. If, and if he runs, if he decides not to run. So I, I don't, I don't think we're, you know, I, 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 I just, I, it's just these undertones that I pick up in coverage. Um, so, so I think, you know, the, the media could be a little more in tune with, with like, why you're picking up from what, what real people are worried about. And also gas prices are about to, you know, they're on the rise yeah. again. So th- that's what people are worried about. And they, there is still a sense that, that no one's doing anything for them. Um, well, nobody's going to do anything next year because house Republicans are just going to investigate everything. You say that everybody's covering everything like it's the end of the world. Well, if the world ends, House Republicans will investigate it because they're going to investigate everything else next year. And that's about all that's going to get done. Michael. I think that John is right that the underlying economics, the underlying economic conditions in the country will trump, no pun intended, the um, choice issue. So if there are two two issues on the ballot, essentially, a woman's right of choice and economics, and that's what's driving the basis of each party. I think that the uh, economics will hold as the stronger pull, and um, the consequence of that is going to be that in these close elections, these toss-up elections, the Republicans are probably going to be favored uh, to win and then we'll suffer the consequences or benefit the consequences of, of, the, of that election. The, the, the thing that's hard always, of course, is that the president has precious little control over the, the economic conditions in, in the country. The, the Fed, I think, missed the boat and uh, not seeing that inflation was really a threat. They, they early on said that it, it was, was a blip to be a blip and I think if anyone is to blame for the economic mess that we're in, it's it's the Fed. Um, but then there's a war going on in Ukraine, and the uh, the OPEC countries um, are trying to capitalize it by re- capitalize on it by reducing oil production. All of these things are outside of the president of the United States' control. But of course, he is the person who bears the responsibility for that. He gets the benefit in good economic times and he gets the blame in bad economic times. And that's just, you know, what is norm for the job. Sorry, I was about to sneeze. (laughs) Well, what I agree, however, I think it points to a bigger problem that we don't explain in the press. The fact we don't explain the news satisfactorily so people understand or even care that the Fed is the the news behind that, you know, they're the ones that have the, the responsibility for the economics and not the president. We just place everything, benefits and all, you know, uh, warts and all in front of the president, whether he's responsible for it or not, he gets the credit for it if it's good, he gets the blame for it if it's bad. Yeah, there, we figured it out. It wasn't as bad as all that, was it? <laughs> turn it off, turn it back on. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting process, technology. Anyway, so the, the, you know, the, the thing that pisses me off, though, is that we don't do our job well enough to explain to the American people what the real problems are. And that, and that brings to bear the bad choices that we make as voters because we're uninformed. 
and and we're uninformed because we're not doing our job right. Well, that's a smooth segue. I know a guy who wrote a column this week about <laughs> this very uh, issue. Yeah. And, and it might be me at rollcall.com. Yeah, you can read my column about this very thing and, and about my, my, the end of my column is we are now, the country is now at the mercy of a suddenly aggressive Fed who, for, for me, I'm, again, I'm no lawyer, I'm no economist, but it feels like Jerome Powell and company, Jerome Powell and company at the Fed are almost, they're almost inventing a recession. And I, I get the sense that he wants to just get it in recession so it can start recovering. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I, talked to, I talked to experts. I, I read a lot this week in, in researching the column. And there's no consensus. There's nothing even close to a consensus about whether we're headed for a recession, whether it would be good, whether it would be bad. And he's just raising rates and raising and 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 just they're going to meet November second and raise rates again, and it's all just hell bent almost on recession. And I, I I tried to make the point in my column that this is something else Trump broke. Joe Biden wants Joe Biden is so worried about being perceived as meddling in the Fed's policymaking that. You, we know, the, so the White House and the Fed are not working together, not coordinating. So like I applied yesterday for student loan uh, debt relief. I was part of the beta group that got to go first. So Joe Biden, the Biden administration wants to give me cash to spend, to put out in the economy. The Fed is raising rates. So folks like me, who's recently been looking to buy a property, so we don't spend that money to buy a property. They want to shrink it the administration wants to put more cash out there. They're not working together. And all Joe Biden would have to do, he doesn't have to meddle like Trump, stand up there in the Rose Garden and pound on the podium. He could do it in a pool spray. Mr. President, are you worried the Fed's raising too much too quickly? And he could just say, yeah, that worries me. He doesn't have to meddle like Trump, but he could just put it out there. And, and but make they don't speech. do that. But they don't do that. So now we, as I wrote in the column, rollcall.com, um, we're at the mercy of an unelected Fed chairman and Fed board. Well, and we're, but we're also at the mercy of morons in the press who don't ask this question. It's simple. If we had access, if I had access to the president, it's among the first questions I'd want to ask him. I have a list of about five or six top of the top being why the hell don't you have press conferences like all the other presidents? I mean, that's my and, and when I say I want to ask that, people go, well, why? And I'm going, well, you're a stenographer, so obviously you don't give a shit. But for the reporters among us, we do. But all of this, to me, reflects back on the fact that we're not doing our job. Why hasn't the president been questioned about that? Why hasn't Corrine been asked about that every day in the press briefing? We don't understand the nuance of this particular issue in order to ask the question. And so that... It, <laughs> but uh, that's just me. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> Michael, you sit on the outside of it. What do you think? We Do you think we're covering it well or not? I think that it's a very hard issue to cover. I, I do agree with yeah. you that the president needs to be um, more accessible to the press than, than, he, than he has been. But, you know, if you're press secretary, uh, and you have a choice of putting him out there 
and let Joe be Joe or not. Um, it's not a simple uh, decision. And because he he steps in it a lot. And you know, that's not something- He's been doing that for 30 years. <laughs> I understand that, but he's now president of the United States. Yeah. That's different. Um, but, but, but as to the econo economics of it, I mean, I, I read some of the economics reporters' uh, efforts to, and these are you know, trained econom economists or economics reporters uh, for a long time, try to explain Fed policy and what the, 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 the rationale behind it is. And then you get um, the various uh, Nobel winning economists disagreeing about whether uh, raising interest rates is is good or bad so how do you how do you explain that to a to uh, an electorate that just wants to know the very simple is this good or is this bad does it help me does it hurt me and it's very hard to define these issues in in those terms so the electorate uh, wants to be coddled I'll, I'll grant you that that's yeah oh, but i think they want to understand i mean i i, I think if you say to people, we're going to go through something collectively that's going to be a little bit painful, but in the end, you'll be better. You know, analogizing to a health uh, situation, we're going to have to have this operation and that's going to hurt. But when the operation is over, you will be healed. Yeah, uh, but in the but, difference but, today, in the difference is, you're you're trusting the surgeon. You're in, in in implicit in what you just said is trusting the surgeon. Today, somebody would walk in and go, "I don't trust the surgeon. I just saw something on YouTube. I know better than the surgeon." Well, I understand that, and that makes it complicated. But all I'm saying is, trying to put it in those terms, laying it out simply, is not easy. But I do think that the White House uh, has an obligation to do that, and I actually think that the Fed. Has an obligation to to speak more. I mean, they only they only seem yes. to speak at congressional at con congressional hearings where they're called up to to testify or through their policy statements. But but I don't think they speak in plain language that people understand, and I think that that's a big problem too. Yep. And speaking of plain language that people can understand, to the other issues I wanted to talk about this week. Uh, <laughs> Ukraine, nuclear war, and Saudi Arabia. <laughs> that's, that's so. Let's start. Let's, let's take. Can we just? Can we talk about something serious, Brian? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I want to know about the Yankees <laughs> and the Packers, <laughs> but <laughs> and why Bennett is suddenly a Phillies fan. We'll get to that though. Love <laughs> that team. Love that team. <laughs> but all right, let's let's start with Saudi Arabia. Look, Saudi Arabia has never proven to be a, a fan of the U.S. and though they, you know, claimed to be, uh, there was portions of Saudi Arabia behind, of course, 9-11. Uh, some of the pilots were from there and trained there. And, uh, and MBS was responsible for uh, the death of Jamal Khashoggi. So why would, why would Joe Biden trust them at all and think that they would follow along? And, you know, it came out this week that he tried to get Saudi Arabia to put off the uh, the production cuts until after the midterms because he wanted to win the midterms and Saudi Arabia found themselves suddenly in Putin and Trump's corner uh, defending them. Are we naive to think that Saudi Arabia is our ally? 
John? Yes. Yeah? They are important strategically. They're, they're not an ally. They're officially, uh, at least in my camp, I've moved them into the frenemy uh, category. You know, they're a business partner. Uh, we have some common interests in the region, of course, with them. Um, I don't see any reason why the administration can't do exactly what it's doing, reevaluating the relationship and come out at the other end of the policy machine with something that that looks, you know, more realistic. Uh, you know, we're going to buy oil from them. Sure, we're going to buy oil from OPEC. Uh, we're going to do those kind of deals. We're going to work together against um, uh, against Iran. Maybe we lessen our help for their war in Yemen. Uh, we don't give them as much stuff. Maybe we don't sell them as many F-16s and ballistic missiles and, and all of that. And, um, you know, we try to broker deals uh, like with the Israelis, a number of business deals with the Saudis, but we don't depend on them as much. Now, um, I think there will be mounting pressure on the administration to to increase uh, domestic energy production. Um, I think that that they'll have to do that. Otherwise, you're going to run to the Venezuelans and you're going to be in a similar relationship with them. And, and I, I don't think that's in our interest either. Um, I hate to tell the Democratic Party that the world still runs on carbon and we got some. <laughs> it's, it's the gas pump still matters. <laughs> but, no, but John, your, your view is we don't run to the Venezuelans until they admit that they tinkered with the vote counting machines in the 2020 election, right? Oh, that was a rigged election, Mike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but wasn't it the Venezuelans who? I believe so, yeah. Pos posthumously, so. wasn't um, yeah. Cesar Chavez or whatever his name That's was? Him. Not Cesar Chavez. Right. He's, a great, he's a good guy. But the, the, yeah. uh, uh, weren't they the way I'm saying? I say this facetiously. Yes, they were. Yes, they, they were behind it all. They, they're behind every evil on the planet, including Donald Trump. Sorry, the ones that Biden and Pelosi are not behind. It's the Should rest we of the get rid of our, uh, our, our OPEC alliance? Should we not be aligned with them anymore? I, I, I it's still in our interest to be involved. Uh, we're still, um, just speaking of plain language, I mean, we're still the biggest dog in the yard. Um, we, I, don't think we, I don't think it's in the U.S. interest to walk away from OPEC, not be involved not try to influence uh, their decisions on, on how much they're going to produce or not produce. So we have to stay involved, but I, I think it, I, I think the Biden administration feels burned enough that they're going to reevaluate. They're going to be tougher. They're, they're going to speak out more and, and they're going to push back uh, as much as they can. And yeah, they're going to try to pull some of those other OPEC countries that have been U S allies like Kuwait and other countries. Right try to pull them away from the Saudis. I mean, we had- We've done that we had, in the past yeah, where we've gotten yeah. them to, to up their production while the Saudis have cut their production. That's been a, a strategic yeah. uh, move in the past. And I, I guess when he talks about a new world order, is that what he's talking about? I mean, cause it didn't, I, I just don't see that we're gonna have this vast realignment of, of allies and, and enemies. It will, I, I wrote this in, in my newsletter, CQ Afternoon Briefing. Be sure to subscribe uh, as soon as- I'm giving you all kinds of plugs today. Thank you for the free plugs. I appreciate it. Um, I wrote that in, in one of my newsletters this week, uh, that, that what the White House described is 
if not a new world order, a revised world order, but it will require um, this administration and, uh, and future administrations to try to pull some of those countries. Um, they're never going to pull them completely away from Saudi Arabia because in, in that neighborhood, the Saudis are still the biggest dog in that yard. But, but we will have to influence those countries. The diplomacy, I think, will look different. The relationships will look different. Um, and I think, I think the days of the U.S. not uh, criticizing the Saudis, I think that's over now. Uh, we, had, nice. we had John Kirby, Jake Sullivan, and others, Corinne at the, in the briefing room, Joe Biden himself, uh, you know, openly really criticizing the Saudis this week. It was, it's a big change. And, and they, got, they got played. Joe, Joe Biden got played um, by MBS, and, and I think they thought that was BS. And I think, I think it is going to be a different world order. And I think MBS sees himself when he looks at Vladimir Putin or President Xi in China. That's the kind of leader when his father finally passes away and he becomes king. That's the kind of leader I think he wants to be. And that's why he's moving closer to Putin and, and doing Yeah, well, he's things. always made pretense that he was opening up the kingdom and he was opening yeah. up prep, but he's never done it. And he's killed right. people that have opposed him. But the, the big, that aside... The other big thing, and Michael, you you and I are both of an age that, man, I remember duck and cover drills. I remember, uh, you know, the you know threat of nuclear war at any moment was over our heads between us and Russia. Well, between us and the Soviet Union, and now you've got um, a real legitimate fear that um, that Putin is could now. I preface this by saying when I spoke with John Kirby and when I spoke with other members of the administration, they say they haven't seen any movement towards the front of tactical nukes. However, they can't monitor it and be sure 100%. So with that caveat, there is a concern. It was the president himself who said, we're closer to nuclear war now than we've been in a very long time. And uh, considering the fact that there are reporters in the White House briefing room who don't know what the mutually assured destruction policy is, uh, MAD, and that there are others who don't understand the very uh, um, limited ability for us to respond to a nuclear confrontation. How, I mean, to me, it seems as scary as, as you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Michael? Well... I do remember all those uh, air raid drills and putting my head against the locker and, and kissing my ass goodbye <laughs> and, you know, hiding under, under my desk. Uh, you know, I remember that. And it was scary as, as, as a kid. I don't know if we're closer to that or not. I think that it would take a madman to um, use a tactical nuclear weapon. And I want to sort of think of these, state actors as not being madmen. We may disagree about the way they view uh, the, the world, but I don't know that they're mad madmen um, and they're all men. Um, well, Trump, yeah, they're all white men. And in, 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 that, in, that, in that way. Um, but, you know, this whole conversation that you guys have been having, um, you know, talks to this question of uh, balance of power. And, and how we evaluate, you know, sort of the balance of power among our allies. What, what you know, is it that we're prepared to accept or, or not accept? Remember Jimmy Carter 
wanted to put um, human rights as the uh, front and center issue in defining relations internationally. And it didn't work out all that well. I don't know that he was ever really given a chance to explore it. And, no, he wasn't. And, and, and we, you know, now have this like sort of balance of threats um, analysis of, of the world. So I just don't know, Brian, whether we're closer or it's just a scare tactic, but we live in, in, in perilous times. There, there's a, a move toward authoritarianism around the world. Look what happened um, in, in recent uh, European elections in Scandinavia, uh, no less, where authoritarian right-wing uh, um, parties are, are rising. And it's something that is itself pretty scary because I don't think that those forms of, of government are helpful uh, to- No, I think there's people day in and day out. But as far as when you and I were, were kids looking at it, do you think that it's more dangerous today or was it more dangerous then? Well, it felt more dangerous then because I was a kid. Um, right. For me, it feels more dangerous today. When I was a kid, I couldn't really understand it. I, I, I just put my head under the the desk and threw the blanket over my head and pretended, you know, like you know, duck and cover and we'll be okay. I knew it was bad, but I guess with, with age comes, I don't know, a little bit more wisdom, I would hope. And it seems more frightening to me today because the cold war was supposed to be over. And John, you sit in the, in the chair of, I, I just a little bit younger than us, not having to have gone through that. How do you look at it? Do you think it's a dangerous and perilous time or that, it was more dangerous during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I, I think it's about the same. I, I, I don't. I, I think it's about the same. And and you know, well, that's the yeah. The X factor is is Putin. You know, we don't know completely his state of mind. We don't know his health. We don't know who's advising him. We know that Lavrov seems to have. His foreign minister seems to have have been not taken a step back, but been diminished. So, you know, we, we don't know which generals he's listening to. Um, so and these are these are old Russia hands that that I've you know, we've all talked to and, right. and, and read about. And, and so we don't know what happens uh, exactly. You know, should he use a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine? I think President Biden was. I found the coverage of, of Biden's statement that, you know, Biden said at a fundraiser, he doesn't see how we avoid Armageddon if, let's say, Putin does fire a, a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine. Um, I, I thought what 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 Biden said was pretty accurate because Biden's going to launch and then Putin's going to launch something bigger and then we're going to launch and the Chinese might launch and then the French might. So North, thought, Korea, North Korea fire off their cap gun. Yeah, I, 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 I thought that was that was foreign relations chairman Biden speaking a, a truth about the world and what would happen. And so I, I think the threat is about the same because we just don't know what's what's really in Putin's head and and what's driving him. And again, I've said I, I think I said this uh, the last time we got together. I know I've said it to you one on one, Brian, is. I get the sense that if Putin cannot put the Soviet union back together as much as he can 
I worry that that he's willing to destroy part of it um, if he can't get it back together. He would rather it not be free and look like the West if he can't put it back together. And I think he views himself, and this goes back to his state of mind, he it, views himself as a once, a once in a, a once in a generation or maybe a once ever um, Soviet leader, and he and he alone can put it back together. And if he can't do it, Will he blow it up? That's the question in my mind. Well, there's a Can nice I ask story. a question? Can I ask a question? Uh, because I don't know the answers to any of these questions, but what's going on? What's going on in Iran um, with all of the protests? And does that imply the possibility of a regime change? And if it yes. does, does the does the same sort of phenomenon of citizens rising up against leadership that, that they think is, is not good for them. Um, does that exist in Russia? Does, does. It exists. Does, in Russia, does, however, does, they have, they have, Putin has killed, jailed, or chased away many, much of the opposition in Russia. But what you see in Iran could be a regime change and it's it's women and and young ladies that are doing it which gives me even more pause and cause for hope that they're rising up against the authoritarian regime and not young men uh that could be a real game changer and if there's successful regime change in iran then that i know could spread across the middle east um and there are several places that would benefit from it and I think that it could easily spread to, you know, the former Soviet Union and Russia. It's that's a cause for hope in Iran. What I see in North Korea is, like, I, I mean, is not a cause for hope. What I see from Russia is not a cause for hope. It's it's a very um, it, it concerns me deeply what goes on there, John. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. Um the you know the iranians will do what they have to do probably to put this down um and it's probably going to get a lot worse before it gets better um but you know the speaking of the saudis they would love to and i'm sure they are to a certain extent um with their intelligence services and 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 other capabilities shall we say they're fanning the flames in iran uh from the sidelines or maybe not from the sidelines exactly so the, you know, that region remains volatile and, and you know, and if things get out of hand there and, and we can't seem to help but get involved. Um, and, and how many places can you get involved? You know, that was one hallmark of the Trump administration. Um, you know, people tell me all the time, well, he didn't get us in any wars, did he? Uh, it, and it, it, you don't have to think too hard about the Middle East and uprisings and regime changes and, and you don't have to think very hard to see MRAPs with American flags rolling down some street toward a would be, yeah. with a statue that they're about to tear down. And on that sober thought, we'll take a break. We'll come back for some final thoughts. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, 
Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. And with me again on our weekly Just Ask the Press edition is Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, and uh, John Bennett, uh, editor of CQ Roll Call and a columnist for CQ. <clears throat> Look, um, we can't get out of a, we, we mentioned it earlier, but, you know, we're not going to get out of here without a sports mention. So let's, let's I'm, I am a Packer fan and was just torched by what happened to him when they went to Europe and lost to the Giants. But also at the same time, kind of happy because I'm not an Aaron Rodgers fan. And I, I think he's way overrated. <clears throat> That's my contribution for the week. But, John, you've suddenly become a Phillies fan. Yeah, I, I, I'm not at all embarrassed by this. Um, I, that team just has a bunch of ball players, And I am in the minority in D.C., and I am, I am happy to admit it. And, and, and I think a lot of Nationals fans are just flat wrong when they boo Bryce Harper. That was not a real legitimate contract offer that the learners uh, put in front of he and Boris. Now, I don't think Bryce wanted to be here. Don't get me wrong. No, if you're um, a ball player, you sure don't want to be here. They've destroyed the team. Right. And I think Bryce and Boris, you know, they knew that, 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 that what Rizzo and the learners had had a short fuse. And he knew that they weren't set up to win long-term. He knew that that was about to expire. So I don't think Bryce wanted to be here, but that also wasn't a real contract that your team put in front of them. And, and they booed this kid for three years when he's, when he's, when he's come back, he is, he is pure excitement. He's pure intensity. He's so much fun to watch. And they've got other players just like that. Their catcher yesterday hit an inside the park home run, the catcher. Um, and they just, they just they play really hard. They play intense. You they've got a lot of big surprise. Yeah. They've got a lot of big bats. Um, we knew they had the bats. The 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 pitching. What we however, did know the is field, that they had the pitch. Right. The, the the pitching is still the question mark. Can it hold up? Can that bullpen uh, hold up? You know, if they get into a bullpen game in the NLCS and and they burn through a bullpen and they've got to play, you know, the next day or or, or two nights later, and all the arms are tired and. You know, we see this with teams that are built on bats. Boy, when one bat goes silent, they all seem to follow. And then if your pitching isn't there. But they just play hard. They're a lot of fun. Uh, the stadium, it was the first home playoff uh, two games there in 11 years. The stadium was electric. It was just a lot of fun. And go Phillies. <laughs> go Phillies. Okay, Yankees fan. <laughs> Well, can I say this, which is Uh-oh. I've never I've never rooted for a Philadelphia team in my life. Uh, it has nothing to do with Bryce Harper. Uh, maybe it starts with the uh, the Philadelphia ice hockey team in the 1970s. I, I just <laughs> never I just never liked the Philadelphia teams. But to the analysis that you bring, John, I think that and I'm a Yankees fan and I hope they win the World Series. But were they to be eliminated, the team that I has captured my imagination much more is the Cleveland team. Oh, 
Yes. Because Cleveland is a is an exciting team without the benefit of an owner that has invested in big name um, stars like Philadelphia. Philadelphia has been able to afford Bryce Harper and, and others, whereas, you know, sort of I defy you to name three players on the, on the Cleveland Guardians um, team. And, and yet here they are, or here they are having the Yankees on the brink of extinction. And um, so I think they're a wonderful team to watch. And I differentiate them, say, from the San Diego Padres, who beat the Los Angeles Dodgers last night and have eliminated the Dodgers. But again, San Diego Padres have bought a team. They bought yeah. Soto. They bought yeah. Machado. They have a deep-pocketed ownership. And so they're not building through the farm system like the like the Guardians are. So if if not for my Yankees, I say go Guardians. I think they're a much more sort of romantic team wow. to root for. Well, <clears throat> I I, uh, I still am getting used to calling them the Guardians, but uh, I I do like them. Um, but I I wonder you, you you can't name anybody off that team like you know. Corbin Burnson, Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger. <laughs> it's the old newspaper nerd in me. The the Guardians, the logo, that's a cool font. It looks really good. Yeah, it is. That is a cool font. But, I mean, come on. Where's your Ricky Vaughn? Where's your Roger Where's Moore? Willie Mays Hayes? Where's, Where's your Willie Mays Hayes? Serrano? <laughs> your what? Jake Taylors. <laughs> oh, Jake Taylor. What an American classic. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see Cleveland – do something if just if not for just for that <laughs> right Same here. Well, you, you have to tell people what you're referring to ah, we're, t- we're referring to the movie major league <laughs> that's if you what don't know your trivia you gotta go learn it that's it was, it was Controversy. like Controversy. i saw something the other day and and you know the, i understand uh cleveland guardians from cleveland indians uh washington whatever we are uh instead of the redskins but I'll tell you, I saw a, a rerun the other day of the original um, Quantum Leap, and there was a, a scene where the this aging Native American wants to be free to die in his homeland, and and Sam Beckett is his, you know, jumps and leaps in and helps him. And some of his dying words are, uh, "The Washington Redskins, the best damn team in the United States." <laughs> And he dies a fan of the Washington Redskins, so um, I don't know. I'm I'm for uh, I'm for Willie May Hay- Willie Mays Hayes, Roger Dorn, and Jake Taylor to to bring it home at the end of the day. Well, you know the other the exciting thing about the the, the Guardians is that the 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 Cleveland Major League Baseball franchise I think is the franchise who has won a World Series. Yes. The last time in the 1950s, right? That right. Is the, are they the team that has the longest drought World series drought? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Other than some of the expansion clubs that came after, I believe. Uh, but they there's but still there's would be the longest drought. I mean, remember the Mets, they didn't win crap until you know 62, 60. They were always in last place until they won for the first time in 69 with the amazing Mets. So 
but you weren't a Met fan, so we can't we can't hold you to that. I was a I've been a Cincinnati Reds fan, except Mark Schott screwed that up, and Charlie Hustle ended up being hustling the players for money. So it it's kind of tough to be a Reds fan, <laughs> but, but I, I enjoyed them. Well, listen, guys. On that final note, one question for every one of you: How do you think the midterms are going to go, John? I think we're about to get a split decision. Uh, at least at the national level. I think Republicans take uh, the House with um, a 13-seat majority, and I think Democrats pick up a seat in the Senate. Uh, Michael, what about you? I don't know about the House, but if the Republican Senate candidates in Georgia and in um, Pennsylvania and in Arizona and in New Hampshire can win. It's a sad day for America because none of those people belong in the United States Senate. Whether you you know are a conservative or or not, the notion of Senator Herschel Walker to me is is terrifying. Well, so I'm yeah. hopeful. I'm hopeful that uh, that John is right on the Senate, and I remain agnostic on the House. But I think that his analysis that in the end, economic issues are, are still going to prevail over um, social issues, gives the House uh, a lean, a hard lean toward um, the Republicans. And then maybe, you know what will be interesting to see, in a final note, is if the, if the Republicans take over the House, what do they do with the Trump subpoena from the January 6th committee? That is, do they shut it down or do they reconstitute that committee with Jim Jordan and, and other uh, Trump sympathizers on it and give Trump and his allies a forum to come forward in a, in a, in a counter narrative to what the other, um, the current January 6th committee did? Well, that will be interesting. I, I, I that, God, Lord, that would be a, but I'll go with this. Um, I think Mitch McConnell, one of the things that you can really count on with Mitch McConnell is he's one of the few Republicans who knows how to count. And he's backed away from the Republicans taking the Senate. So I think that the Senate, I, I'm not going to say it's safe for the Democrats, but I do believe, John, they'll pick up one or two seats in, in the Senate. And God knows that, Michael, you're absolutely right. Some of those people, the idea of Herschel Walker, I think, there's never been a better case for revising and studying the NFL concussion protocol than Brett Favre and Herschel Walker. And so I, I hopefully to hope to God Herschel Walker doesn't end up in the U.S. Senate. That would be devastating to the United States. And well, you know, he, 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 would, he, he and um, Tuberville could uh, form a, a, a committee of their own. Yeah, dumbasses in the, in the Senate, but that's, that's, that's and then uh, as far as the House goes, I think right now it's a toss-up. I think there's an um, I and a, a week ago I felt more confident that the that that the House might swing or might stay uh, in the pocket of the Democrats, but the domestic issues, the economic issues, and OPEC have led me to believe that it's still now a toss-up. What 
what is amazing to me, and and I, you know, God, it, how in the hell can with all that's going on, can it even be close? And that just tells you how bad both political parties are in this country, that the Republicans are seditious traitors who care nothing for the Constitution, and the Democrats can't find people to run against them who have a chance to win. We're going to get stuck with the Jim Jordans, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boberts, and uh, the Matt Gates is because they cannot. And in fact, the Democrats have given up. Like I'm, I've spent the last ten days in Missouri, you know, uh, you know, working here, and just they've given up at the state and local levels. Democrats in some places don't even exist on the ballot. They can't find anybody. And, and I go back to you know uh, Tip O'Neill, who was when he was a congressman, went around to these places where. There were no Democrats, and he was responsible for building the, you know, and somebody needs to go back to what Tip did, and he, he built the bench strength of the Democratic Party by showing up in these counties and going, hey, who's the most popular guy in your county? Who's the, who's the best car salesman? Who's the guy that people like? And, and he would go to them and go, hey, look, we'll pay you money, run for office, and it created a Democratic stronghold. They don't have that, so it's frightening to me that that in 2022, the politics in the United States uh, are, a part, are, are consisting of two parties, one that's seditious traitors and one that hasn't got a clue. So I don't know where that leads us in 2022. Well, where, where it leads you is to Oregon, where you can see what happens when you have three candidates running, where um, it may well be that someone who's tried to forge this middle ground, Brian, that you seem to be... Um, interested in, in, in giving um, power to uh, is going to end up um, electing a Republican in a in a pretty blue area of uh, Oregon. Scary. Scary. Well, with that, folks, we're scared to death and we're heading into the midterm election. So kick back, relax and have a beer. Because at the end of the year, we're going to be screwed from year to year. That's, that's, anyway, and John's just just sitting there grinning. All right. So listen, guys, thanks so a lot. John, John is sitting there grinning because his football team, App State, doesn't play until Wednesday. So he has a... Uh, He's had a reprieve this weekend. Yeah, it was yesterday was lovely to just a la carte down the college football menu and I'll root for them or I want them to win and not have any skin in any of the games. But defense is is now dead in college football. Um, oh, well, please. And, and yeah, we I don't know if this is a recruiting thing or what's going on, but uh, uh, these games are, are video game like. So you, yes. you, didn't, you didn't like the um, Tennessee, Alabama defensive struggle? Oh, <laughs> I. Uh, I liked it. It was entertaining. I, I, I watched every play. So yeah, it was entertaining, but it did strike me that, um, you know, people are someone out there. I haven't seen the top 25. I think the top 25 pulls out at two Eastern. Uh, so it's not out yet as we record this, uh, but people are going to vote Tennessee number one. They gave up 49 points at home. So, uh, you know, the NFL. Well, they didn't just, give up 50, John, come on. Yeah, the, the NFL has some product issues the other way right now, where it's not a good product. There aren't enough points. And now college football has gone the other direction. They're really different sports right now. It's the, oh. kind of the same 
it, they're the same species. I can't even stand to watch the NFL. Yeah. It, 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 you talk about a video game. It's like, I, I'm up 24 to nothing. I lose 27 to 24. Mm-hmm. I, it's oh, like, I, thought that, I thought that was just NBA basketball. That, it, that ah. Nothing mattered until the last two minutes. The last no, two no minutes lead of the was, last no lead game. was insurmountable. Yeah, that's right. And the, the, the NFL also has a problem with these manufactured outcomes. They, they don't yep. necessarily manufacture the outcome, but they manufacture it to be close finishes across the league. You know, if you've right. got, you know, eight one o'clock games, six of these things are going to go down to the last minute. And the NFL, they use the pass interference, um, the Hold defensive it. holding, the roughing the passer calls. To, they tighten those up when they need to, and all of a sudden, a seventeen to six game is a is is a a, a twenty seventeen to thirteen. Yeah. Then suddenly you look up; it's twenty four twenty two. How the hell did that happen? Right. Well, go back and look at go look at the game log, and when 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 the laundry was on the field, and when it picked up in the fourth quarter, and boom, the ghost holding call. You, you, call you, you the spike world. the right. You spike the rating. You spike the rating at four o'clock and then you spike it again at seven, seven thirty, and you can charge more for those ads. There you go. Bingo. That's why, that's why I only watch the second half of the fourth quarter. Sure. Yeah, that's, well, it takes Smart. longer to play the last two minutes of the fourth quarter than it does take to oh. play the rest of the game. Review everything and then talk <laughs> about it and then call timeout, then go to commercial, sell some insurance, sell yeah. some trucks, sell some, some seltzers. Now they don't, they're selling less light beer now. So, yeah, and then come back, run two plays, review something, go sell some trucks, come back, run three plays. It's just, yeah. but, but you know, the thing that's just the last point, this, this podcast is going to last forever and a day. And I don't know whether you're <laughs> still recording, but the thing that, that makes me sort of shake my head is that the biggest sports sponsor these days is the um, betting, the fan duel and all yes. the sports yeah. thing. Yeah. And if, and if you're, and if you're, Poor Pete Rose, or yeah, you're Pete Rose, or the, you're going, what the, the fuck? Or the heirs of um, shoeless Joe Jackson. You, you're, you're, you're thinking like, as as Brian just said, what the f is going on here? You know, I'm at, <laughs> I've been kicked out of this board for eternity. <laughs> and, and, and Pete Rose only betted on he bet on his team and always bet them to win, and he's out of the. It, right. Added, you know, the, and that, and now you have you have sports stations dedicated to betting, um, the betting. <laughs> yeah. Degenerate gamblers. The I want to know: Has there under. ever been a degenerate gambler? We have always seen the degenerate gambler. <laughs> I'm sure there has been. But to our point about the NFL, as we record, Giants and Ravens, no score. They're throwing sideways passes, and there's already been three punts. But the game will end. It will be 30 to 28 by the time this is over. And they'll score 20 of those points in the fourth quarter in the last five minutes. Right. Exactly. All righty, guys. Go go Giants. (laughs) Go Giants. We'll catch you next time next week. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for being with us. Hope your football team wins.